You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. Chum, did they say chum? Hello, chum, and welcome to ye old battle of the atom. This, this is your weekly X Men podcast. We make every story from A to Z, Governor. <laughs> and I'm Adam. I'm the bad boy of X Men podcasting, Zach. That was quite the attempt at a British accent, there, Zach. It wasn't a good done. one. No, it was a okay. bad one, actually. I, I would have that's jumped I, in. I, I just hadn't practiced, so I wasn't ready. It's okay. I I I think my children have made me watch too much Bluey. Oh. Uh, <laughs> which I'm going to be clear. <laughs> yeah. So, folks, folks, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out here. When people say, "Oh, Bluey's such a great show," they explicitly mean that, like, of all the things you can put on for your children. This one is like, you're going to get a couple of laughs out of it. This is still a show for children. So maybe like cool it with the adult fans of Bluey stuff. It's, it's <laughs> throwing was, me off. I turned on AEW last week uh, for a couple minutes and someone was in the audience was holding up a full, like six foot tall Bluey cutout in the audience. And I was like, this is great. But has this gone okay, too that's far? That's funny. Hold on. That's funny. That's funny. It's when I'm trying to figure out which episodes of Bluey have been banned in the United States, or at least are not yet out. Oh, uh, yeah. And then I find a bunch of adults arguing about it, this, and I'm like, okay, y'all, listen. Maybe, maybe we've taken this too far. Yeah. And yes, Dad Baby is a great episode, and I think Disney is silly for not releasing it, but... Hey, here we are, nonetheless, and uh, Happy New Year to you, Zach. Oh, Happy happy New Year to you, too. Old acquaintance, be forgotten all that. <laughs> well, we are actually going to acquaint ourselves with an old acquaintance, uh, someone that we don't talk about on this show very often. Uh, we are starting off 2024 with stories about Captain Britain. Uh, Zach, who do we have to thank for this Wiley request. Uh, this Wiley is Wiley the word you use there? Might be. Who's to say? Uh, this Wiley request brought to us by Cy Beltron. If you want to be like Cy, I've got a great idea for you. What you need to do is go on over to patreon.com slash battle of the atom. Reach deep down into your hearts, your pocketbooks, toss a couple of coins into our coffers, and then quickly, quickly, we will be able to get you on this list. So we can talk about some things. Yeah. And some stuff and some things. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this first story because it really gave me an excuse to read it after many years of knowing about it and, you know, reading little pieces of it here and there. But I have never actually read the entire thing because it's not the easiest thing to find unless you're going to, you know, basically do a you know, an illegal download uh, because or is, buy an omnibus. It's it that's is true. Fully printed it is, in an omnibus. Yes, you can get an omnibus form right now um, in the omnibus. Is it color, though? That would be my question, because it, it is, I believe. Yeah, that's I believe that's, it's recolored for the omnibus, as a lot of these stories are like uh, 
We're talking about Captain Britain, people. Just just because talking around it's yes. going to be a pain. Talking about like Captain Al- Britain. Like the Alan Davis stuff. The Alan Davis stuff after Alan Moore's run was initially printed in black and white and then reprinted in color uh, when they did the, uh, what's it called? Like they, they did a trade of that one. They didn't dr- yes. do the Alan Moore stuff at the time because... I believe there were, I mean, there were legal questions about what they owned and what they didn't, and Alan Davis was playing ball with Marvel, where Alan Moore uh, is was Alan Moore. And I don't say that in a bad way. I just mean that Alan Moore has very strong feelings about what he should own, and I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, the only reason I ask that is because one of the things I want to talk about is how good this looks in black and white. Um, and how coloring it could probably be to its detriment. So if you haven't caught on so far, the first story we are talking about uh, this week is the Jasper's Warp, which if you were trying to follow along with Marvel UK titles at the time, that that might have actually been kind of confusing because the issues that are being released here are uh, a series of 12 issues in Marvel Superheroes UK, from 1981 to 1982, followed by 11 or another 12 issues of the Daredevils in Marvel UK, and then followed by the Mighty World of Marvel 7 to 13. So we have quite the uh, span of titles where this is being doled out in little tiny chapters. So let me ask Adam, uh, and we should probably give our readers a update, but how familiar are you with British superhero comic or not even superhero, but just British comic traditions compared to American ones? I mean, from my understanding, a lot of it is anthology books. So these things come out with reprints of existing comics, maybe some short stories that are new to that particular edition. You know, Transformers UK was like this, Doctor Who UK uh, you know those kind of books. 2000 that were AD, out. yep, pretty famously. Yep, uh, yeah. It Marvel because at the time it was a bit of a big pain to do everything across this ocean because the internet wasn't a thing and fax machines were nascent and not really great for like art. Yep, they would. They wanted to set up their own publishing branch in the UK uh, that would do comics for the UK market, as well as some reprints, uh, and that worked pretty well, all things considered. Uh, and by pretty well, I mean it was a constant failure for them more than anything else. <laughs> but they did it, uh, and Captain Britain was created to be the flagship character of it. Now, here's the problem about when. Captain Britain was created, and we'll get into this in a later thing, but when he was created in the 70s, he was created by Chris Claremont because he was at least born there. Sure, yeah. And then, like you know, obviously spent the majority it. of his life here in the States, but yes, he, he does claim that he, I mean, I shouldn't say he claimed, he was born there. I think. Yeah, I but mean, like, claims... I, I do think the United Kingdom claims him as, yes, he was he was a citizen there when he was born. <laughs> yes, yes, you know, but but Chris Claremont, who, you know, does not have a British accent and did move Chris away Claremont, from Chris Claremont, who's from New York. Right, he's, I wouldn't call him British, does sometimes claim to be British, uh, you know, based on he, the it, fact that he was born there. He's British in the same way that that guy was mad at me for claiming that I was from Kentucky. <laughs> right. It's not raised there, but born there. I mean, listen, 
there's some valid points to be made about that. And we sure. would be hypocrites if we did not. However, do you know who is British to their core? Alan Moore. Uh, and Alan, Alan, Moore. Alan Davis is also British, I think. Alan Alan Davis is very British. I was going to say, so that, that makes for two, you know. That's good. So, so we say all this preamble about Captain Britain, Brian Braddock, in the classic sense, to say that he was a he was a flop failure character who never really made anything work until in Marvel Superheroes Anthology three seventy seven they restart his character from the ground up. He had previously been in uh, I think he was actually a supporting character in Black Knight in a Black Knight uh, UK strip that was running in Hulk. Wow, uh, not a good look. Right you know, I actually, I've never, I've not read it. I have heard that the Black Knight stuff is actually uh, like the best Captain Britain before we get to this Captain Britain stuff. Okay, all right. Anyway, gets moved over to Marvel Superheroes, which is a book that at the time is publishing Avengers, like David Michelinie, John Byrne Avengers, mm-hmm. and uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams X-Men. Uh, so like, they are putting them with the big names, sure, uh, and saying, "Hey, let's we're doing Captain Britain." And it, you know, we we think of this as Alan Moore Captain Britain, but it starts out and really the first uh first like ten ish uh, stories in this, and you know, I say stories, but they're all like eight page length. I think mm-hmm. some get stretched to twelve as it moves into a different book. But they're fairly short issues. But the first ones are actually written by Dave Thorpe, who was another UK writer. And it's interesting because Thorpe really does set the groundwork for all this new Captain Britain stuff. And part of how he sets that groundwork is doing an amazing thing. And that is letting Alan Davis do whatever he wants. Man, Alan Davis cooks. Uh, I was absolutely blown away by his artwork because, you know, typically if, if X readers have gone back and read his Excalibur run, you know, you're used to Paul Neary inking his stuff. It's a very clean, beautiful style with all of these gorgeous Art Nouveau curves everywhere. And it's not to say that Alan Davis's beautiful line work is not present in these issues. However, this betrays the fact that as I was talking about before, he is a master of black and white comics. He understands how to really balance the white and the black on a page. He knows all about texture. He knows all about light. Uh, And it's just astounding how good these pages look because he is challenged from beginning to end to do some things that are a little bit more straightforward that wouldn't look that strange in Excalibur to some really trippy, you know, out there stuff when Jasper starts to warp reality that is pretty amazing. So hats off to a master of comics. It's pretty incredible. That's a thing. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Regardless of your feelings on Alan Moore, uh, Alan Davis's stuff in this is freaking phenomenal, especially for how green and young and fresh Alan Moore is. To have this be some of his earliest professional work, it's, it's jaw-droppingly good. It really is, and it looks better than, you know, I got to say. I mean, even when he does his, well... 
I mean, everything he does on Excalibur is, is pretty superlative, but you know, it's definitely looks better than the stuff he does when he comes back to uncanny with Claremont, you know, like yes. it is just really stellar stuff. Now you mentioned Alan Moore. I am on the record many times over that. I'm not a big Alan Moore fan. You know, I, I find his work to be, uh, repetitive in a lot of ways, um, with, with some similar tropes, and I'm always turned off by the constant presence of violence towards women, um, especially sexual violence towards women and in, in the female characters that he writes. What's really interesting about this particular story is number one, it freaking rocks. Um, it, I have never really liked an Alan Moore story very much before. This is outstanding. But it also serves as a really interesting origin story for almost everything that Moore does in his whole career. There are some of those themes that can be traced back for good and for bad to this particular story. This feels like a Watchmen warm up, you know, it, it does feel like, you know, some of those things that are coming later in his career that he's trying some stuff out here. And it, there's it works. There's a lot of Miracle Man that comes out of this. There yep. is a lot of Watchmen that comes out of this. So yep. much so that there are, you know, there's high level things like the idea of oh, superheroes are illegal now, which mm. is actually a Dave Thorpe thing. That's a that's a thread that Alan Moore is picking up on when sure. he takes over the book. Yeah, but to the there is there is a essentially a character being rebuilt from the ground up. Uh, that is very reminiscent of what he will later do in anatomy lesson in Swamp Thing. Uh, there is there is stuff as little as the symbolism of a smiley face getting like ripped up or like distorted in some way that will become the iconic image of Watchmen. There is yeah. the there's a little bit of V for Vendetta in here. Like there is it? there is straight up the Doctor Manhattan issue of Watchmen. Yes, uh, where he lives in all times and all places. All at once that happens in this comic, like in the same way that you, I had to take a minute and say, Alan, like, I don't think you're stealing from yourself. I think you're taking an idea that you thought was interesting and expanding on it, uh, in a more refined way, because I am someone who will go on record and say, I generally like Alan Moore's stuff. And while I agree with the criticisms, it does not personally ruin the work for me. I think he's a master of the craft, uh, a lot more than a lot of people and puts a lot of care into the stuff that he does in terms of making it a comic. And I think that comes through in this, especially because this is early, early Alan Moore stuff. This is yeah. before he does any of the stuff that you would consider Alan Moore comics. This I think, is 1980, what? One? 98, uh, 81? Yeah, we're starting in like one or two, 81, 82. It so, starts in 81, goes till I think 84. Yeah. You know, and, you know, just to be clear, like, while I'm not a particular fan of Moore's work and his body of work, I mean, he's a good writer. You know, I, I want to just be clear about that. It's just I, it's never been my taste. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what's going on here, though, I think is benefited by the fact that each of the chapters are a little bit shorter because as we go through these two years worth of two or three years worth of, of short you know, little blasts of story, it flies. Once you read it in totality, there's a pace to it that is just incredible. And part of that is that the, the 
The story, for those of you who have never heard of this before, involves Captain Britain seeing uh, Jim Jaspers, who is a reality warper, essentially come to totalitarian rule in an alternate Earth and creating this creature known as the Fury. And we've seen the Fury. Yes, the, the Fury kills superheroes. It kills superheroes. Uh, which is important to note, and it's very good at its job. Um, we've seen the Fury come back in the Krakoan era, but if you don't know where it came from, this is it. And that creature, who seems to be destroyed in one <laughs> in one Earth, is so intent on killing superheroes after his his existence. Well, his entire um, you know Earth has been destroyed. Right. Let's like let's pause right here. I want I want I want to make sure people understand the context. Captain Britain gets thrown out of Otherworld, thinks he's in his Britain, actually ends up in fake Britain. Uh, it's Earth 238, which is important because this is the comic where Earth 616 comes from and all of the universe designations. Which, right. Don't let anyone tell you it was an, an important thing. It's just them throwing some friggin' numbers around. Alan Davis, or Alan Moore was most likely, knowing Alan Moore, throwing 616 in there as a number of the beast reference because 616 is one potential though not widely uh accepted translation of the number of the beast from revelation so ha 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 very funny we live in the devil universe i think that's great too alan all that being said they get to a world that's it's a thatcher britain like taken to its extreme world that's what it is that's Mm -hmm. jasper's is a margaret thatcher stand-in he is that kind of British conservative that, you know, Moore was very concerned about when you see it in a lot of his work, especially B for Vendetta. And he takes over. All superheroes are illegal. We find out that they that the Fury has killed all the superheroes. And we get that in a very interesting way. Because, like, the first, like, six or eight chapters, the Jim Thorpe stuff, or Dave Thorpe stuff, excuse me, the Dave Thorpe stuff is looks great has some interesting stuff like the crazy gang is in here yep a few other things like first appear but it's it's like okay what's it doing because you get to a point where captain britain's sidekick jack daw gets murdered and then resurrected by the way jack daw is the worst and i understand that he's terrible yeah the the transition from captain britain having an elf sidekick bestowed upon him from uh merlin and roma is surely something but the the fact that it is you know really a turning point of the story that he is brutally murdered um tells you what kind of a story you're going to be reading because we're starting to see the effects of what jasper is you know doing on on this plane now captain britain has to face uh well it's not him it's saturnine right that has to face trial yes so all this happens saturnine comes uh Tries to fix this world, decides that they can't. Go that world gets put on trial after all this stuff. And another member of the Captain Britain, not even of the Captain Britain Corps, he like runs it. He's he's Saturnine's number two. Anyway, he takes over control of everything, and the decision is made by him almost exclusively to eliminate that universe from all reality henceforth. Yeah, just blinks out of existence along with everybody that lives in it and chooses to kill billions. Yes. So one of the only survivor of that uh, world is the fury 
um, because the Fury kind of wills itself to, to cross over into Earth 616 after reforming there is, itself. There is one other survivor. Survivor. Oh, right. And that is Linda McQuillan, the yes. Captain Britain of this Earth. Yes. Uh, Captain UK. Captain UK. And what you learn about Linda is that when uh, the Fury came to power, uh, she was deeply traumatized by seeing everyone she knew and loved brutally murdered. Mm -hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, by the way, all of the superheroes in this are classic British and almost exclusively British comics characters. Which means you can look at them and say, this is a reference to something, but I don't know what. Yeah, Which it, I think is very funny. Yeah, especially because Moore is going to pull this trick with Watchmen later. The fact that he's doing it here, um, you know, it's indicative well, of some of his later work. In Watchmen, he pulls it with the with the uh, Charlton characters. Exactly. What is really funny to me in this is that he pulls it with Marvel Man, who he mm -hmm. will then, like two years after this, write. But his his fake name for Marvel Man is Miracle Man, the name that he will rename Marvel Man to get around copyright stuff. Just, it's an amazing level of layers there for a cameo that's not very long. It's a, it's a very brief thing. You don't really even see the character full figure. So, um, once we've gotten back to the six one six, we are now figuring out that there's a Jasper's here too, and history is starting to repeat itself. And the Fury is on the hunt and is is looking to kill Captain Britain and his colleagues. So, you know we. Hey, who's yes. his colleagues, Adam? Can we, you say his colleagues, you just kind of skimmed over. Who's his colleagues? You know, this is, this is complicated. <laughs> this is complicated. The Please, world. Adam, tell me his, tell me his colleagues. Yeah. The, the, the family of, um, of Captain Britain here is, is starting to grow. You know, we, we have mastermind, the master computer that lives in the basement. Um, and is yes. kind of like techno organically taken over uh even though he's the one that killed captain britain's father um who also happened to be from we're not world. getting into the mastermind stuff it's yes yes anyway, we can get into that a little bit later you know yes we've, we've got betsy you know and who else is here in this part because i'm getting i'm getting our stories overlap because there's so many little you alan are. davis creatures um, all the time yeah uh well one there is strike uh oh, who's right. a bunch of telepaths most importantly, oh, buddy, it's the special executive. Oh, the special executive, yeah. Do you, for folks who don't know, the special executive is future versions of TechNet, essentially. We know TechNet better, but it's like fascination and numbers and uh, who else is it? Who's the Legion is the guy that jumps around led by Wardog. Wardog's great. Love Wardog. It's TechNet. They are... I mean, they are the best, right? Yeah, and I, this is one of the great appeals of Captain Britain and early Excalibur is that every once in a while, a new team of weirdos shows up, right? You mentioned the crazy gang. The special every executive shows up. You know, then later it's TechNet. Um, you know. Alan they, Davis just wants to draw a bunch of weird dudes. Yeah. Every you know, once in a while, Alan Davis says, here's my new freaks. Yeah. Here's my freaks of the week. You're going to love them. And you know what? I do. Fascination oh, yeah. has an incredible design. Like it's that high pony. Mm. 
We're going to talk about some more of them uh, later in this episode who show up in, in another Captain Britain story we're going to cover. Um, but it is kind of funny how these things happen. And, you know, we do get to this point where Jasper's is starting to sort of, you know, warp reality. It does seem as if everything is going to be happening the same way they did in the other Earth. And it really comes down to um, Captain UK, Linda McQuillan, you know, who's refusing to fight this entire time, confronting her trauma and essentially ripping the fury to shreds um, with a little bit of help from Captain Britain. But essentially it's her that is able to take this monster out finally so that it's that, you know, it's that last, it's that last panel scene. of that story when, when Captain Britain says, you know, cause Linda is going to town on the fury finally after a long fought battle, many deaths, all this stuff. And he says, Linda, you can stop. It's dead. It's been dead for 10 minutes. Like she has been eviscerating this thing because all of the rage and guilt and pain that she felt when her earth fell she is just like have, having that wash over her and it's a good friggin' page like that all works really well for me. Everything about the fury it kills superheroes is just about my favorite stuff. Well, like, th- Jasper's this is, the imp- is scary. The fury is the fury is like terrifying. That's what I was going to say is that they're like <laughs> I have I have read other Alan Moore work and felt very little this one. It's scary. Like it is actually pretty scary. These characters and the fury itself is just this unstoppable killing machine. It is really frightening. Um, So hats off. It's done really, really well. Uh, Our story does end with uh, us learning that Merlin has died because there's, I'm never going to, and Merlin and Roma, and I'm never going to try. And that's, and that's okay. Um, Saturnine has used this occasion to take power of Otherworld um, to the point of making her predecessor lick her boot at the end of the uh, the story, which is which is a nice little touch. And they, I think the only thing that I could complain about in this entire thing is that I didn't quite understand why Linda McQuillan and Brian Braddock kiss on the last page. It just doesn't feel. I earned. think that was a hundred percent a weird editorial thing. It like, doesn't like, oh, yeah. seem. It feels like a weird note, right? Yeah. It's one of those things where you, you know, sometimes you watch an action movie and the, and the, you know, the, the one female character kisses the male lead and you're like, what was that? You know, like there was no chemistry between these characters this entire time. So it's it's odd. Um, That's what that. But it's a that weird is, one-off thing. That is one panel or two two panels maybe, uh, and I'm I'm willing to let it off the hook because this is outstanding, and I I would like to rank this quite high because I, I think this is extremely yeah, well done. That's that's the thing about uh, the Jasper's Warp, also known as Crooked World. Yes, um, it rules. I think Jim Jasper's is. Jim Jaspers is a character that I would I have seen again, and I am fine if we just don't do more Jim Jaspers stuff because I feel like it dilutes his character a little bit uh, the more he shows up. But dang, like Alan Alan Moore does almost I think he pretty much does nothing for Marvel after this, and no. I don't blame him. 
Mm-hmm. But this one's this one's great. If you can only do one. Yeah, if you're going to go one and done, you might as well go out with, as an all-star because this, this rocks. So why don't we try and rank this on our big old list? That's the thing about our big old list, Adam, is that we have 885 X-Men stories that we've been ranking from best to worst, top to bottom, with the best being House of X, Powers of 10, number 200 on the list being Marvel's Epilogue, number 400 on the list being the first Maggot slash Trial of Gambit stuff. Uh, number 600 on the list is X-Corp 1 through 5. Number 800 is Marvel Superhero Special 8 through 6. That's uh, the Roy Thomas X-Men Outback story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the worst X-Men story of all time. 855 on our list. 2099. Where to tomorrow? Amazing. Amazing. So I think at the very least, I'm more than willing to say this is a top 50 story. And I think it might even be a top 25 story, Zach. Adam. Adam. I also think this might be a top 25 story. I think charitably where, where I, where I feel like, no, this is a better story at minimum. This is better than number 22, which is the passion of Scott Summers, uncanny X-Men volume two, number 19, which Uh is right above the Proteus arc, which is similar enough. But I'm going to say Alan Davis is wiping the floor with John Byrne on weird reality warping stuff. Absolutely. Uh, it is killer when you look at the, the artwork from this. So I, I don't think that that's a stretch at all. And I just keep creeping up the list here. What do you think about it against something like Dark Angel Saga at 17? I have I have gone back since we initially ranked that in like the first couple of months of the podcast. Uh-huh. I'm not as hot on Dark Angel Saga as I once was. Uh, I think Dark Angel Saga is a little too complex. And I think I I don't think that it's the best uh part of Uncanny X Force. So like if we were if re-rank Narok ever came around, that one would be one that I would want to drop down somewhat. Okay. But like right above that is Messiah Complex, and I think this is a tighter, better story than Messiah Complex. Yeah, and above Messiah Complex is worst X-Man ever, which you know I'm a huge fan of. Um at 14 is Generation Next. I think if I was going to slot it in somewhere, I'd probably put this in between generation next and worst X-Men ever because generation next, at least for me still hits that really bottom of my stomach, like desperation thing that, and I, and I have a lot of uh, nostalgia for that book as well. Uh, where, how high are you looking on the list? I, I, my ultimate I, ceiling my- I can't go above Wolverine's wedding at 11, I don't think. See, that Paul Smith my stuff ceil- I think is better. My ceiling is a little lower. My ceiling is right at Xavier's from New okay. X-Men. Yeah. That's yeah. that's at 13. I think Riot is better than this. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm like, do I feel like it's better or worse than Generation Next? I think you would have to ask me on the day. <laughs> like I yeah. I would it I, I want to give the edge to generation next only because I, I have stronger affinity for it. I've reread yeah. it more times, you know, I, it, Chris is one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, I, I honestly think this, what we're talking about, this, this, uh, Jasper's work story is absolutely outstanding. I, so I'm, I'm kind of torn, you know, I would like, tend to agree. And I think the reason why is generation next is four tight, consistent issues where the Jasper's Warp, because it has the Thorpe stuff at the beginning that is still good, mm-hmm. but not as good, 
it holds it back a bit, just a bit, okay. just enough to say, you know what? At this at this level that we are at, I would put it at our new number fifteen, uh, right below Generation Next. But I'm telling you, like, if y'all haven't read it, because yeah, it's kind of hard to find, and it's a Captain Britain story, and Captain Britain stories are weird. That's cool. Y'all like y'all like like most of the foundational comics of the eighties and nineties. Uh, well. You probably will like this one also. Yes. And far be it from me to recommend pirating something. But if you don't have the money for the omnibus, it is fairly easy to find a download of it online. So just just find a way to read the Jasper's Warp. Warp reality makes this thing happen. Yes. Uh, Because it is this is not an exaggeration. Like it's freaking good. You know, you could you. Like this is this is where we get Betsy Braddock like actually being Psylocke because Chris Claremont, yes, made her telekinetic in his stuff and then left the book and no one brought it up again. Mm-hmm. Not telekinetic, made her precognitive or whatever he had, but like no one touched that for fifteen years. Yeah, and then Alan Moore comes in and Alan Moore, if you if you find the original issues and I think it's his first or second issue, he has an essay in the actual physical. Uh, just mm. going over the history of Captain Britain and like his approach to it. And it's incredibly insightful and worth reading okay. because it, it tells you like he read, he did the work. He read it all. And he says, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And he's a hundred percent right. So he goes in, destroys all the stuff that doesn't work, makes all the things that do work, work. Also, this is the comic uh, props to Alan Davis that gives Captain Britain a good costume, <laughs> which yes. he had previously never had. Well, let's let's talk about those things that don't work. Let's talk about that costume, the original version, because um, our next story is from Captain Britain, Volume One, and uh, we are going to be talking about issues fifteen to twenty-seven. This is a time that Captain Britain and Captain America team up in London to fight the Red Skull. Who's our creative team here, Zach? Um, this is a Gary Frederick. Uh, story. There's a there is some Larry Lieber in this as well. Their actual workloads kind of split on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with most of the work in terms of art being by Herb Trimpey, uh, but John Buscema uh, jumps in on some of the later issues. Buscema is inked by Tom Palmer and uh, Fred Kita, who Kita does all of the inks for Trimpey. Yeah, pretty wild style difference when we jump from herb to uh bishima it's it's a it's a pretty wild difference because you know herb is doing much more of a you know a jack kirby joe simon style and you know bishima is doing a, a little bit more of a modern you know more realistic art style that said there's not a lot to this story um again these are relatively short chapters um, because there are three different anthology stories in each one of these issues. And uh, what I said before about Red Skull versus Cap Britain and Cap America, I mean, that is pretty much what's going on. Red Skull is interested in taking over the mastermind computer in Captain Britain's basement. But then that plot line kind of just goes away in favor of a ransom plot in which the red skull kidnaps the prime minister and threatens to blow up big ben i mean that's pretty much it the red skull wants to start the fourth reich 
Makes sense. Right. It's his deal. Captain Britain and Captain America both think that that would be a bad thing. It is. This is like the first idea you would have to do a Captain Britain <laughs> team up story, right? Like Captain Britain has to meet another Marvel hero. What does he do? Well, what if what if we redo World War Two? Sure. Yeah. Red Guardian should have shown up, honestly. Um, we are introduced to Chief Inspector Di Thomas, who has a long-standing vendetta against Brian Braddock and Captain Britain, um, and is, you know, almost unmasks Captain Britain, except thanks to, to Steve, uh, that doesn't happen. And then there's also a pretty funny uh, subplot involving Nick Fury uh, meeting his British and counterpart. You, you know his British counterpart, Commander Lance Hunter, don't you? Yes, Commander Lance Hunter of Strike, uh, who we mentioned before, but this version of Strike is very much just, hey, it's it's British Shield. We're um, British Shield. Yeah, and Lance Hunter, I mean, God, he looks straight out of like a 70s spy show. It's pretty great. The thing about Lance Hunter, and I love this, is that you know he was supposed to get an MCU spinoff at one point, right? Oh, no, really? Oh, that's terrible. Lance Hunter was a... Uh, actually incredibly charming supporting character in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show that I wouldn't recommend people watch. Wait, was uh, he? All the way through. Yes, because here's the thing about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show I watched four, five seasons of. The first season spends 16 episodes being pretty bad. Yep, watched all of that. Then Captain America uh, Winter Soldier happens, and S.H.I.E.L.D. has to get blown up, and the show actually gets stakes and is good. Yeah. Like... I'm, like I'm just actually trying to good. remember who played Lance Hunter and if I got that far into the series because I, I oh no Lance Hunter was played by Nick Blood Nick Blood oh yeah this guy that's it's that him. was supposed to be Lance huh okay I mean that was his name it was him and Bobby Morse were members oh, of the right. team you know Mockingbird yeah they were gonna give I do remember they were gonna do a Mockingbird spin-off show so that's what this was gonna be was, yeah it was, was, it was gonna be Marvel's most run- wanted they filmed a pilot and wrote them out of the show mm. uh, but then uh the pilot didn't get picked up and Adrian Pataki got I, other gigs. I do remember when this happened um yeah I just never made the connection that that was supposed to be yeah. the same character it's him. that's 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 who Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was pulling weird um but that show had all kinds of weird stuff happening. It that show um, did have all kinds of weird stuff. I'm just gonna say I fell off of that show when they went into space and started yes. doing like Cree stuff, and I was like, I'm probably not watching this last season. That's that's. I did watch the entire season where they did Ghost Rider and they did Secret Empire, like the mm-hmm. Nick Spencer story at the same time mm-hmm. the Nick Spencer story was going on, and it was very funny when Nick Spencer was walking around like, well, Hydra's not really Nazis, and then this show was just very explicitly being like, Hydra's Nazis, dude. Oh, yeah. And there, I think this comic is very into, it's like, no, this is Red Skull. He does Nazi oh, yeah. stuff. We do not deal with that. No, and, you know, I have talked in uh, past episodes about my, what's the word? My reluctance to really be happy about characters like flaunting swastikas and stuff like that. But there are a lot of these like, you know, numbskull Fourth Rikers in this story um, that are just, you know, basically cannon fodder for our heroes to just punch, you know. And so it's fine, you know, like our characters, you know, like just drop to the ground. What's interesting about this story, what I find actually really interesting uh, one of the few things Gary Frederick does a 
hey, this is how you would recruit neo-Nazis today. Like, this Mm -hmm. is how you would find people who are dissatisfied with their country, dissatisfied needing someone to blame, and finding an outlet for that. Like, that's... He's doing the recruitment speech to a bunch of socially or fiscally conservative people and saying like, oh, but this is is the solution to all your problems. And it is... That is interesting. What else I find interesting about this, and Adam, I hope you found this as delightful as I did, is that about halfway through this, Captain America and Captain Britain die? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, then, uh, Stri- is it Strike or Shield that, that decides they're going to, oh no, it's Shield because it's, it's Dum Dum Dugan. He's going to replace them with life model LMDs. Uh, decoys, <laughs> the LMDs, but they don't work. And then it turns out they're not. What I find very funny is they don't show up for like two issues of this script after they blow up Mm -hmm. um and then they show up and there's a caption that just says we'll let you know how they got out of that one when we have a break in the action but obviously we have not had time yet and they never they don't they do they explain it in issue 26 of this Oh. On the second to last chapter of this story they say actually this is how Captain Britain let helped us escape oh right Okay, I did, yep. But it's... it's Because I was waiting. Because it's like, I was like going through each chapter, like, have they they still not explained how these guys died? Are we not there yet? I'm I'm going to be frank with you. This story, to me, is not extremely engaging. You know, it's a a lot of punch, run somewhere else, punch, run somewhere else. And, you know, there there is a little bit of classic comics uh, fun in having everybody hanging off of the, the hands of the clock of big ben you know where's the bomb red skull oh he's got rockets in his shoes you know let's let's break those so he's he's not able to you know keep flying in midair but i mean it's a lot of silver agey kind of nonsense that is not there's no depth to it you know it's, no there's, it's, it's there's a punch of no depth no, so not a lot to talk about here with this one um i will say busema's busema's artwork looks utterly fantastic in the latter issues. Uh, it really adds a, an element of, um, you know, fun to the story that that's not really there with Herb Trimpey's. Yeah. I mean, it's just not the best. No. Uh, also, why does Captain Britain have this costume? This is an insane costume. It's not great. I've never quite understood the design, but it's just He's bad. got too much going on. Yeah. He's got the flag mask. He's got the yeah. he's got the lion crest. He's got the staff, and he's got the amulet just like hanging out around him. Yeah, with the chains. I I don't know, man. He he's got a lot going. It's a lot better in volume two when it's like, wait, are these powers from my suit? Oh, they're me. I just get enhanced by the suit, and like obviously the suit is a lot better. You know when Alan Davis does it, so yeah. So this is not Weird going to rank comic. as high as Jasper's Warp. Um, I I would actually say this is quite a bit lower. It's quite a bit lower. It's not the worst thing I've ever read, but it like no. it falls in. It falls in with a lot of the like. It's such a weird 70s comic. Yeah. I mean, I would say we're probably in the 500s here, you know? Definitely well, in the 500s. Okay. At 604, we have Excalibur 96 to 100, the London Hellfire Club. Better or worse than that? This is worse than the London Hellfire Club. Okay. So we're in the 600s. A comic I don't really like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just unfortunately not a lot going on here. Um, 
you know, the, um, the, the Fury Lance Hunter rivalry can only take us so far. I think this is worse than Exiled, the New Mutants Journey into Mystery crossover. I would agree. All right. How low are we going? Here? How does this compare to the time Magneto got turned into a baby? Oh, this is worse than that. And I think this is worse than IVX at 651. This is worse than Wildcats X-Men at 655. Yeah, we just I've been thinking about Wildcats way. a lot today. Man. No real reason. I'm just thinking about them. They're a lot of fun sometimes. Not all the time. Uh, worse than Die by the Sword at 681? No, because I still can't explain Die by the Sword to you. All right, I've read better, it three times. Better or worse than Wolverine Bad Rock at six seventy five. I've also been thinking. I've been thinking about all the all the original image books today. <laughs> Things I don't think I've read more than three pages of any of them combined. Wow. Uh, you know, you need to go back and do a Max uh, read. You know, that'll be the most satisfying. Mm, no, because Max isn't a founder book. That's no, that's true. He's sec. He's second wave. But still, if you never read Wildcats, maybe, it's a lot of fun. The first. Maybe the first, I'll get into like tennis. Or Shadowhawk. Wetworks is also technically not, even though Wills was a founder, he's a still a second wave book because he got the lead. Yes, because he, yeah, he had the family stuff. And yeah. Really yeah. just, anyway, sad for Wills Portacio. I don't care about Wetworks. Yeah, this is worse than Wolverine Badrock. Okay. I would say, put it, let's put it above Iceman Volume 2, but below Extreme X-Men Infatata. Okay, that's fine with me. Or Intifada. Yeah. Okay, this is our new... 677. Fantastic. So if we were ambivalent about that one, uh, let's get back to singing the praises of Alan Davis. So we're, we're Alan talking... Davis good. Yeah, Alan Davis is good. So Marvel UK then moves on to Captain Britain Volume 2 after the Jasper's Warp. Um, and we are covering issues, what, 5 to... What are we doing here? It's 5 to, to nine. 9. Now, here's the, th- here's the thing about these Captain Britain stories or this entire run of Captain Britain, it's all kind of flowy together. Yes. Like comics end and start in the same chunk. So there's not perfectly clean points anywhere, but this is about the best we could get. Uh, Cause this is a story that, you know, the previous story is kind of over and Captain Britain ends up in a new place or he's, I mean, he's at home and he gets challenged by Captain, Captain Britton, who's a different Captain Britain, uh, he has to fight him. Uh, well, his evil. Here's, yeah, here's the backstory about this: is that um, the issue before number six is number five. Um, it's actually the introduction of Technet, and yeah. Technet, Technet has been hired to kidnap Captain Britain. Un- we weren't going to not talk about Technet. Yeah, unfortunately, they kidnap our Captain Britain and not the Captain Britain that they have been hired to kidnap who comes from a, another one of these, like th- th- as is, you know, the trope in Excalibur and Captain Britain, another totalitarian alternate universe that is run by an evil version of Saturnine and this evil version of Britain, Captain Britain. So they don't realize this that is, they've kidnapped this the is, right one. This the is Opal, the evil Captain Britain or the, Evil Saturn we're talking about in this is Opal Loon Satyrnin, uh, the, the evil <laughs> yeah. one that she's the she's the evil Saturnine that replaces Courtney Ross eventually. Right. Um, which is not. But this Captain Britain is not Nazi Captain Britain, who we do meet later in this story. 
Yeah, he, he's still a totalitarian, but he's not the same one you meet in Excalibur. So anyway, the two Captain Britons fight. We think that our Captain Britain has won when that is not the case. The evil one has switched them out. Um, so Technet is now taking the good Captain Britain back to this evil Saturnine while evil Captain Britain starts to mack on Psylocke, which is really icky and I didn't like it very much. I didn't like it either. This is Alan Moore and Jamie Delano, by the way. Delano's doing the writing based on some Alan Moore plots. Alan Davis. Yes, yes, Alan Davis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Alans. This is this is the good drawing, Alan. Not the good writing, Alan. <laughs> right. And, you know, the artwork continues to excel here. It is absolutely fantastic. I... I I love it. Um, I really don't. I know that this was recolored. Well, no, this was probably colored in its second printing, right? Or or maybe in, in its yeah, first. Yeah, no. No, it's, I believe its first printing was black and white. Okay. Because, because nothing's credited as a colorist. Yeah, that's true. On any of this. Uh, but then when, it actually gets quickly reprinted um, as before Excalibur. Uh, Captain Britain before Excalibur. Which I think I'm seeing it. Yes, is the collection you are holding also the collection that I have over there? Yeah, and um, if you can track this down, it's absolutely beautiful. You know, it, it basically it's a, it's a nice. They weren't doing trades at the time, like that one. No, this, was, this comes no. out in like 80, 88, I think. Yeah, it's a nineteen eighty eight book, and it's it's really you know. But what's unfortunate is when you open it, it gives you a synopsis of the Jasper's Warp. Um, and the original Captain Britain volume one run instead of actually I love how they're like, showing you, you are going to have to know this. I know yeah. this is an American book. You can't get it, but like Claire, Chris read it. So Chris is going to be bringing all of this stuff in. Yeah. He wanted to do it even more. Can you imagine if Claremont just did all the Jasper's Warp stuff like he planned on doing and like would have been absolutely, and, yeah, would have been absolutely master. insane. Um, so once we get the Captain Britain situation figured out, because they, they do return the, the good one, um, we are again introduced to the mastermind computer who, you know, basically convinces them that he could be kind of a, a helpful agent, even though it's very clear that he's up to no good. And we are then introduced to the Warpies, who we've because talked about on the Alan show before. Davis wants to give us more freaks. He already gave us Technet. Gatecrasher is in this. Here's the thing. Gatecrasher might be the biggest Alan Davis freak that's ever existed. And I love her. Yeah, mother. She yaps there. Um, the what, What's his name? The baby. The baby's not here. No, no. We... we, we Joy do, Boy. It's yeah, Joy, Joy Boy. Boy. We're, we're not quite to the full Excalibur Technet roster yet. But the other group of weirdos that we have. So we've got Technet. We've got the Warpy children. And we also have the Cherubim. Um, who are the freakiest and the most deadly of the Warpies, uh, who, you know, are, are being used potentially by Strike to do... Oh, not not Strike. This is the RCX. This uh, is the RCX. extra evil because stuff. Because Strike mostly died. Yes. In the um, so the RCX is, um, you know, in charge of all of the, the, the Warpies and the Cherubim. The Cherubim get loose... Because of, and this is really where I want to concentrate our energies here, because the other major character that gets introduced in this part of the book is Megan, who right. we got a glimpse of Megan in the more stuff. Um, and, and she had been like, she, the like rescuing Megan stuff was the first, or was, yeah, in one of the earlier parts of 
the Davis Excalibur. Yeah. Because yeah, she's at, so, at this point, she's already living at Braddock Manor. And she is in her original form, which is kind of this bat creature, you know, just monster, essentially. Um, and when she gets a chance to kind of break free from that, she becomes the modern looking gorgeous blonde that we are used to uh, when she comes into Excalibur. Um, and we, we learn, you know, that she does have the ability to transform. What's really fascinating about this is that I don't necessarily think, especially because if you have been listening along with um, my one and only uh, Anna Papard as they finish off Excalibur on, oh, oh gosh, golly, wow. Ben Robb, for instance, has absolutely no idea who this character is. And I think you could make an argument that Chris Claremont doesn't necessarily understand this character either, because the version of her that's here is vastly different than who we encounter in Claremont's Excalibur. She's much more of a street tough and, you know, clearly comes from hard beginnings in the, her original appearances. Whereas by the time we get to Excalibur, she's much more of sort of a muted, uh, you know, devotee to Captain Britain, who, you know, is occasionally a powerhouse, but doesn't necessarily have that sort of like brawler thing that's going on here. Megan's Megan's got a lot going on. Uh, she's not the most straightforward character, but I will say the page where I think there I think there's a lot to say about conventional beauty standards. And, you know, should Megan have to be this beautiful bombshell kind of lady? I think those are all fair discussion points. Also, Alan Davis draws some really pretty women in, like, great po poses. And not, not in the, like, overly sexualized cheesecake way that you get with some guys. Like a, uh, like a Terry Dodson. An artist I like, but... Davis is a lot more muted. So when she becomes like standard issue Megan, I got to pop out of that one. Like that was good. Like I was like, okay, this looks great, Alan. You got me here. Oh, it's, it's an incredible reveal. Um, and of course the way this uh, arc wraps is also a really great sequence that only I think a, a, a visual comedian um, who's really good at you know, the, the character acting that he does that Alan Davis can do um, because those, <laughs> the warpy children have moved in and Captain Britain can't go anywhere in his house without running into them, including the bathtub. So it's good bits. <laughs> it's really funny. You know, you don't see these things very often that, that actually will you know, get a laugh out of me. Um, so I enjoyed this quite a bit. And if you are an Excalibur fan, I highly recommend you track this, this part of the, the Delano Davis stuff down um, because it's quite good. Because you want to understand Excalibur at a certain point. And this is, this is nearly required reading. I don't think that, I don't think that Jasper's warp is required to understand Claremont, Alan Davis, Excalibur. I do kind of think that the J.P. Delano Alan Davis stuff is pretty essential. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, it, it really does help you understand who those characters are by the time you get to Sword is Drawn. So I enjoyed this quite a bit. It's definitely better than the Captain Britain Volume 1 stuff, but nowhere, hey. near, nowhere near the heights of the Jasper's Warp. But um, still 
pretty solid. You know, these are good comics. Um, these are like, these are good, good, solid comics. Yeah. I, I'm trying to see where do we have, we have some Excalibur on this list, though not as much as one may think. No, um, we really haven't covered that much. At 219, we have Excalibur. Well, okay, but one of us is dating someone who's covering all of it. <laughs> That's so. true. And hopefully people are listening to that show as well because, you know, it means we don't have to do it. Hey, maybe <laughs> listen to it. Maybe listen to it this month and one of your friends from this podcast will be on it. I've heard uh, you might be co-hosting. That's good news. I said one of your friends. It could be you. In fact, it would be more likely to be you. Adam. I've already been on I, at least... Well, actually, technically, I've been on more than once in the last year, so I don't know if I will be on. All I'm saying is one of us was only invited after we had a drunken meeting where I was like, man, I really want to talk about uh, Faron and that good issue <laughs> where, where he jumps he out of a cake. Revenge. <laughs> um, I'm going to say something crazy. At 131, we have Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. I, I think this is better than that. I think you are crazy. Uh, you don't, you don't yes. think this is better than Mojo Mayhem? I do not think this is as tight of a story as Mojo Mayhem. Okay. Um, I would I would almost give you Truth and Consequences, Excalibur 61, which is less of a story and more Alan Davis draws Phoenix Punch in Galactus. Yeah, I think this is better than that. I mean, that is a beautiful issue, but I, I think there's more story going on here than that. Here's where I would say. I would I would throw this out there. Above X-Men Second Coming at 134, mm -hmm. but below Uncanny X-Men 171 where Rogue joins the team. That is a great place for this. So that would make this our new 134 Captain Britain. What are we calling this? Double... Double game. Double, double game. game. I keep wanting to call it Double Trouble, but that's not what it's called. Um, that's not what it's called at all. Yeah. So especially for, you know, fans of Alan Davis, fans of Alan Moore, fans of Excalibur. Um, I highly recommend you hunt down the Jasper's Warp and definitely see if you can, you know, get it, get the uh, Captain Britain trade or just go, you know, go whole hog and get those omnibuses. I'm sure you can get them digitally so you don't need to have the whole phone book in your house. Yeah. Find a way to read these things. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to thank Cy, uh, Cy Beltran for uh, requesting this. This is a fun one. I was excited when I got the Jasper's Warp in my inbox saying, hey, y'all should read the Jasper's Warp. I was like, Finally. <laughs> Someone wants me to talk about the Fury. It kills superheroes, Adam. It's a great start to the year. Can't can't complain at all. Oh my gosh! You ever think about that comic that Ailes Cott did uh, with uh, uh, Matt Walsh? Not Matt Walsh. What's his name? Silver Coin. It's Matthew Walsh. Okay, I'm gonna need it's Matt. It is Matthew Walsh. I was right. That great Secret Avengers comic they did where the Fury has babies with oh. an extra dimensional being. Yeah, yeah. That I know. As I say it, that sounds bad. Actually, that. Secret Avengers comics super good. It just doesn't have any X Men stuff besides the Fury. Hey, all kinds of good stuff, right? Um, I'm it's sorry, I good. It's got Fred got, Moore on covers. I, I I just got distracted by realizing what it is we're doing next week. I'm sorry, <laughs> I forgot. So y'all know the y'all know how it's the fall of X right now. <laughs> yes. Well, as it says in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Ah, uh, yes. So we're going to talk about Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men next week. And I think it's going to be an interesting time. I have not revisited these comics in a few years. Me neither. Very excited to revisit. Adam, what do you got going on? 
because uh, I have going on that I figured out that I have to read that again this week, and I'm like, <laughs> it's going to be a weird one. Uh, yeah, I'm just normal stuff, folks. Please follow on socials: uh, Adam Reckham, Blue Sky, and Instagram. Uh, Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And uh, we'll see you here next week for Rosenberg Uncanny. Should be interesting. I'm excited. Until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!